0: Thank you once again for being with me, Dr. Fuller, to talk about the leftward drift of the Southern Baptist Convention and, in particular, what you saw at Southern Seminary. Last time we talked a bit about higher criticism on the campus of Southern Seminary, and I was hoping this time we could talk about something else, perhaps uh, postmodernism, and where you saw that you'd mentioned that in the first interview. Um, I wanted to read for you just a a clip from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It says that scripture is the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. It's From the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. What is postmodernism?
1: Yeah, when you think of postmodernism, it's an extreme skepticism and relativism that is very suspicious of absolute claims or universal claims concerning objective reality, concerning morality, concerning truth, concerning language, uh, social process, uh, progress, things like this. So it's an extreme skepticism in this way. Oftentimes when it's applied to literature or when it's applied to scripture, what you'll get is people who will question things like a thorough intent. They don't like a thorough intent. And what, they're, what, they're, what they'll say is there's no one right way of doing biblical theology. There's no one right way to read the text, uh, or a text of scripture. And so instead of looking, instead of trying to find a way to interpret scripture that we can prove, that we can verify. So, okay, we want to prove that what Paul's teaching here, is is actually what he's teaching can you show in other places in paul or in the new testament proving like for instance let me give an example Uh, we have a lot of controversy about the first three chapters of genesis okay a lot of controversy on this and the way i think we ought to interpret that can we find other places in scripture that refer back like for instance a controversy is adam a real person well when we read later on in the new testament you can clearly see from paul that he sees him as the first historical person. And so if we let scripture interpret scripture, that's the right way to interpret the Bible. And so like the Westminster Confession says, the infallible rule of interpretation of scripture is the scripture itself. And therefore, when there's a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, which is not manifold, but one, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. You see, that's how we should interpret scripture. We should let scripture interpret scripture that's the right way of doing it well that.
0: these are basic hermeneutical principles if you want a grammatical historical method of interpreting scripture which correct which i thought southern baptists i thought you know i that's what they were supposed to be teaching and, and it seems like which what you're saying right now is postmodernism actually contradicts even the baptist faith and message
1: absolutely you can't have postmodernism. Because, again, it's suspicious of absolute claims of objective reality and truth. Well, what we claim as Christians is to have the truth, the objective reality. Where we have, we have a professor at Southern Seminary named Jonathan Pennington. He'll say things like this idea of objective, to be able to objectively verify your interpretation or to objectively verify the interpretation that you have. He goes, we shouldn't do that. We should look for productive readings, not, want, not have all this angst and pressure, a feeling that we've got to find. What did Paul really want to say here? But let's have some pr- productive readings, uh, you know, things like this. And so again, in his postmodernism, he, he's going to, he, he doesn't really like, well, he doesn't like a thorough intent. And he prefers to say, why don't we talk about textual intent? Or why don't we talk about the ideal author? Because he'll say, we can't get in the mind of Paul. We can't get in the mind of the prophets. And so we'll talk about the, te- the meaning of the text. But again, there can be different readings of it or different meanings of it. it Paul didn't have just one idea, you know, there. And, but this is very dangerous. This is very dangerous. Because we believe that the scriptures give us the mind of Christ gives us the mind of God and how we're to believe about him and how we're to live our lives. And so we find the mind of God. We find the mind of Paul in the scriptures, you see, where he would say, no, no. He, again, he doesn't like this notion of authorial well, intent. Uh, he, again, and he, in interpretation, again, he wants to see the community ultimately decides the meaning of the text. Well, we would say, no, the meaning of the text is fixed, it's stable. Now, we might misread it and misinterpret it, but it has a fixed meaning. And that is what is true, whether we discover it or not. The meaning of the text is stable and it's objectively, we can verify it. That's what we believe. He doesn't believe that.
0: So here's a quote from a book that's published out there uh, called Reading the Gospels Wisely from Jonathan Pennington. Page 230, he says that the church recognized the need for a ruled reading or regula fidei that guided the proper reading even of canonical texts. And this sounds to me when I read a statement like that more like Roman Catholic theology um, than a Southern Baptist understanding. It sounds like you read the Bible in community. The community is what determines the meaning. Am I tracking? That's
1: correct. Because in the context where you're reading there, he's talking about when the Orthodox had a controversy with heretical groups. And he goes, hey, they both had the same Bible. So the Bible couldn't determine between orthodoxy and heterodoxy in that situation. There needed to be like some kind of confession, some kind of ruled reading that would determine the meaning of scripture. What he's doing is he's, he's making confessions, He's making them constrain our reading of Scripture. And he's got it just the opposite.
0: And the Baptist faith and message says the opposite. It says the opposite.
1: That's why it's more, uh, like you say, Catholicism. Because in Catholic theology, remember, it's tradition. And of course, the um, magisterium of the Pope. That's what determines the meaning. Of, that's the official interpretation of Scripture. It comes really through tradition and so forth. He's doing the same thing by making the community the final arbiter of what scripture says
0: well, he says this as well uh, in in one of his papers and it's in the context of human authority creeds confessions verse biblical authority so he's not talking about things fundamental to existence and natural revelation like the laws of logic um, he says so we need to not live in the anxiety that fundamentalists have that the Bible is the only authority or only source of truth and understanding. Are you a fundamentalist, Dr. Fuller? <laughs> uh,
1: according to that definition, I certainly am. And, okay. And it, by the way, if he's not a fundamentalist according to that definition, he's denying the sufficiency of Scripture there. And so apparently he's calling, if, if he's going to claim, if he wants to be able to, to, to sign accurately the abstract of principles, okay, then he's just called himself a fundamentalist as well, but he's denying it there. Again, what he's saying is, uh, we're not like fundamentalists who take the scriptures our only and final authority. No, no, we, we also, he says, we hold the creeds, even- Creedal like orthodoxy. We believe in a creedal orthodoxy, right. including the Westminster Confession. He doesn't even interpret the Westminster Confession right because the Westminster Confession is gonna tell you scripture is our sole authority creeds are a sub-authority. In other words, the authority of all authorities is Scripture. Creeds are only authoritative as they're consistent with Scripture. We constrain our creeds according to the proper reading of Scripture. We don't constrain the Scriptures by creeds. We correct creeds by Scripture when we find errors in them. We don't correct Scripture by creeds.
0: I wanted to uh, read for you a few other quotes. Um, And and this goes along with the uh, denying objectivity, but he he says, and I was hoping maybe you could explain this a little more. These are big words. So I think when you get into postmodernism, sometimes people fall asleep and they think, what are you talking about? But it's actually very important because it really does undermine core doctrines. Um, He says, there's no simple right way to read a text as both pre-modern Christian hermeneutics, and he says this big word, Gadamerian postmodern interpretation, understand. Instead, there are a variety of more or less faithful readings or performances of a text that are closer or farther on a spectrum to the census literalis. There There are also unfaithful readings and misreadings, to be sure, but a richer understanding of what it means for a text to mean Releases much steam from the pressure cooker of modernist exegesis, and it's and listen to this: it's angst-ridden drive to find the one true objective meaning upon which all application can supposedly be built. So he's. It sounds like he's saying there's pre-modern Christian hermeneutics and Gadamerian post-modern interpretations, which he affirms. Correct. What what is he talking about there when he uses those words that people might not understand?
1: Yeah, Gadamer was a German sort of philosopher, postmodern philosopher. He's a big big fan of Gadamer, and there's another one he likes even more, a guy named Umberto Eco. And if you read his papers and stuff, you'll see he 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 praises okay. these men. You can tell their influence upon him. Gadamer is famous for his. Uh, he's really a philosophical uh, hermeneutics guy is what he is he believes he, he he writes on the philosophy of hermeneutics or the philosophy of the science of interpretation and one of his big uh, ideas was the reader brings all sorts of prejudices to a text and so he, 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 he so in other words even a reader, when he comes, he has so many prejudices that this notion of getting this objective meaning out of a text is virtually impossible.
0: So is that the spectrum then?
1: That's part of the spectrum. Okay. Yeah, that's part of the spectrum. And then at the end of that quote there, again, this, this uh, pressure cooker of finding the one true meaning. Well, most of what I taught at Southern Seminary was Greek, uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. I taught mostly languages. And the whole purpose of teaching the, the languages is so people can really look at what the Bible says in the originals to the best we can and, and to to get the proper interpretation. What was Paul trying to tell us when he wrote this? Or even better, what was God telling us when he, when he wrote it. the scripture? And we're looking for the true meaning of the
0: text. Now, now, let me ask you this. You had a lot of students come through, I'm assuming. Yeah different, probably, cultures and ethnic backgrounds and maybe even genders. And I mean, I know your books have been used now at Jewish uh, seminaries and so forth. So right. when you're teaching that science, really, that, of interpretation, um, understanding the language itself, are you able to teach people with different backgrounds and different experiences to arrive at an objective meaning?
1: Absolutely. There are methods that you can use in interpretation. To me, the most important thing is to read Scripture and to look at how, how did the apostles interpret the Old Testament. Let's imitate their methodology. Okay. Sometimes they, they interpreted things on a theological level. In other words, they weren't just doing like a, like a verse and looking at the grammar of it but they were looking at the broader theology.
0: And you think someone with a different experience than yours can arrive at
1: Absolutely. the same
0: conclusion using the same tools?
1: Take, for instance, a man like Augustine, okay? He was from northern Africa, okay? So he wasn't affected by, you know, whiteness and these other (laughs) postmodern ideas. Look at the way he understands scripture. Then look at a guy like Calvin. Look at the way he understands scripture. Then you look at some modern interpreters. They're very similar. Yeah. They come from different times, you know, different locations uh, on the map. But they, their understanding of Scripture, their interpretation of Scripture
0: very similar. Because they're trying to arrive at the meaning that the author intended exactly. for the original audience. Yeah,
1: exactly. They're looking for an originalist understanding of the passage. What did God intend for us to understand when, he wrote the, when God, through Paul, Wrote Ephesians. Right. That's what we're trying to discover.
0: Now, I may be going out on a limb here, but I would assume that folks like Jonathan Pennington would not be favorable to someone like me, for instance, using this approach to read his book or his writings (laughs) if I just, you know, did not read them objectively the way he intended, but read them the way I wanted to read them.
1: Oh, no, he wouldn't like, if you started misquoting him, I'm sure it would be very offensive. Right. You don't understand. You're misquoting.
0: So, So when anyone says that to you, you know, I mean, we talked in the last episode about Dr. Hernandez, and you, you know, you came with these objections, and people, well, you, you don't understand. Dr. Hernandez was the response you got. Oh, that's right. You you could use this, I guess, as a response and say, well, I'm bringing my own meaning to the text. I have a lens, and I. So, but we, but none of us function that way. I guess is the point. That's
1: no, that's right. I mean, in in true in, in the true world, you can't live a postmodern life. Okay. You just can't. It's impossible. It is. I mean, when you're driving down the road. And you see this sign that says, Bridge Out Ahead. You're not going to interpret that postmodern, you know. You're not. You better stop your car, Yeah. or or objective reality is about to take place in your case. Now let me tell you this, I wasn't the only professor to speak out against the teachings of Jonathan Pennington. When we voted for him a few years ago for promotion, we had almost a 50-50 split in the full professors meeting. And that was about 30 of us. And that are the oldest professors and you know, the most conservative professors on campus. And it was basically a 50-50 split about him. And so uh, many in the faculty were very concerned about him. Dr. Muller even said after that vote, he goes, well, I don't like his books. I don't like the books. And he's talking especially about his book, Reading the Gospels Wisely. And also, he just came out with a a recent book on the Sermon on the Mount.
0: You know, it's a curious thing that you you say Dr. Moeller did not like his book, Reading the Gospels Wisely. Well, if you go to um, the Gospel Coalition's website, which is a popular Christian uh, neo-reformed blog, on February 18th, 2013, and it's still there, um, Dr. Pennington's book is prominently posted, uh, Reading the Gospels Wisely, a Narrative and Theological Introduction, as one of Al Mohler's top 10 books that every preacher should read. And it was actually third on the list. Um, and the article's still there. So why would Al Mohler, who agrees with the Baptist faith and message, and apparently is spoken to you privately. he hasn't No,
1: no, that was spoken before oh. the full faculty.
0: Well, it wasn't spoken publicly in, in the same way that this Gospel Coalition article that's was public. That's correct. That so no correct. one outside that faculty. That's correct, knows. that's right. But in a private yeah. conversation, he has said he doesn't agree with this book and he, he does hold to the Baptist faith and message. W- why would he say this is one of the top 10 books every preacher should read and, and hire someone like a Jonathan Pennington?
1: I cannot explain that. But let me say this, this is, this is part of the problem. We have professors at Southern Seminary who teach sound doctrine, but unfortunately what they'll do is that for some of our professors who do not teach sound doctrine, like Jonathan Pennington, and that book, by the way, it's hard to read, you know, four or five pages without finding something problematic in in, in that book. But what you'll see is is a professor who writes, uh, uh, again, who is sound in his teachings, like for instance, Tom Schreiner, He wrote the blurb on the back and he says, now I don't agree with everything that Pennington says, but he says, but it's the best book on the Gospels. Well I tell you what, students they have a lot of respect for Tom Schreiner and they trust Tom Schreiner and here's Tom Schreiner telling them this is the finest book on the Gospels. And then when there's people out there who read some of uh, Tom's works and he says, hey it's the best book, they're gonna get this and read it and think, hey this is good stuff and uh, it's very dangerous
0: well well, this is concerning this is very concerning uh for a number of reasons not just the fact that postmodernism, which undermines the sufficiency of scripture is being taught but that it sounds like there's contradictions going on behind closed doors at southern seminary endorsements of books uh and then uh, that take this dangerous approach and then reneging on the endorsements privately I mean, I don't know what to make of that. It sounds like you don't quite know what to make right. of that either. Um, yeah. wh- I want to ask you sort of in closing here, what what are some of the implications of this? Give me like a, you know, for a working class person who just reading yeah. their Bible, wanting to follow the Lord, they, they don't care about postmodernism. Perhaps that's just right. heady stuff that intellectuals debate. Give me like a, an actual example of how this would undermine perhaps evangelism or, or. Uh, one of the things that well I tell you we do. You what,
1: it under if you take postmodern theory and use that as your lens to read scripture you are going to completely misread scripture Now, jonathan pennington's a new testament scholar but what he does in one of his papers that he gave to the students on campus there is he 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 said the notion he he's quoting this author named david crump and he's 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 agreeing with crump and what crump says is it's a self-induced illusion to believe that the Old Testament teaches some type of messianic paradigm that some Messiah would come years and years later and he's going to, you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, forgive sins, that he would die and ascend to heaven and all these things. He goes, this is a self-induced illusion. And Jonathan Pennington says, but he was quoting him saying he's agreeing with this guy. And then, then Pennington goes on to say, yeah, and even key passages that the New Testament interprets of the Old Testament, even passages like Isaiah 53, you would be hard-pressed to see that as truly messianic. He's denying that, the, that Isaiah 53 and many passages of Scripture teach anything about Messiah at all.
0: Wow. So this is usually the basis for Jewish evangelism. For, I mean, not even right. just Jewish evangelism, but anyone who wants to just share that's how right. Christ fulfilled the Old Testament promises this is fundamental. Christ, that's right. Christ said, "If you knew the Scriptures, they speak of me." Yeah, right? exactly,
1: exactly. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. If you if you look at what he's saying, and again, he's de- he's denying all, an entire messianic paradigm in the Old Testament, and what he says is. And again, he's quoting from a guy, but he's agreeing with this this, uh, corrupt fellow. And he he goes, you only get that because you've been brainwashed by reading, you know, basically the apostles and reading the early church fathers and then later on people like reformers and so forth. So we as Christians have been conditioned, we've been brainwashed to read Messiah into the Old Testament problem with that, as you know, I, I went to a Jewish institution. I've studied the old rabbis. And let me tell you, and this is a scandal in and of itself, the old rabbis saw Messiah in the Old Testament more than most uh, Old Testament evangelical professors I know. They saw Messiah everywhere in the Old Testament. Now the, the Jews don't have a problem with Messiah in the Old Testament. What they disagree with is that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what the difference is. But if you read, and by the way, they weren't brainwashed by, re- by reading the apostles. They weren't brainwashed by a Christian reading of the Old Testament. But if you read the old, uh, the old rabbis, uh, I tell you what, they saw Messiah everywhere. Matter yeah. of fact, they had two statements, John, I'll tell you. It's in the uh, Talmud around section 99. One of the statements is, The prophets only testify of Messiah. Now when they say the prophets there, they're not just talking about, uh, you know, Isaiah through Malachi. They're seeing all of scripture by the word prophets there. And what they're saying is the scriptures only prophesy of Messiah. So to them, all of scripture is pointing toward Messiah. That's what the rabbis say. Then they say this. They they say, the world was made for Messiah. And by that they mean, All human history is directed, guided by God for Messiah's coming and for the establishment of his kingdom. By the way, those two statements are very similar to ones you'll find in the New Testament when Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and he'll say, for the law and the prophets prophesied unto John, you see. In other words, the whole Old Testament prophesied unto John the Baptist's coming. The the opening of the messianic age, you see, the opening of the messianic kingdom, you see. Wow. And then what Paul says in Colossians, that the world was made by Jesus and for him. The whole world, all human history, is centered on the Messiah because he is the one who's going to come. He's our second Adam, and he's going to come, and where the first Adam failed to obey the law of God, the second Adam is going to obey the law of God perfectly. But it, it, it's beyond that, though. He's also going to die for our sins that the sin for Adam and all of his descendants can be laid on him, you see. And
0: that, that's the gospel.
1: That's the gospel right there,
0: you see. And so you don't need a modern interpretation. Oh, you you no. need the Old Testament scriptures. That's
1: right. You need the New te- Look at how the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. That's our model. For how to interpret scripture right there and also how did how did like the prophets of the old testament how did they interpret the pentateuch yeah you see when i pressed this they uh of course they had jonathan pennington rewrite this paper he gave to the students about three different times a a
0: paper on this topic this topic
1: the one he did about uh, isaiah 53. 53. and what he did was he simply just cut it out of the paper he never he never went back to the students even though you know, he was called into the dean's office and, you know, hey, you can't you, you cannot say Isaiah 53 doesn't refer to Jesus. And there's no messianic paradigm and you, you can't do this. Right. But he doesn't go back and say, oh, I, I got it wrong. I messed it up. He had two more months in that semester to tell the students. You remember that line about Isaiah 53? Forget that. He just simply cut it out and gave a new paper out. He never he never corrected the record. Wow. Then later on, after he, he did two more editions of the paper and the, and the administration kept saying, do another one, do another one, he couldn't get it right. So finally he had to write a private document saying, I do believe in Isaiah 53. I don't believe in postmodernism. I do believe in authorial intent. And so I asked the administration, are we going to make this public?
0: No. Why not? Well, his book is public. Absolutely. Al Mohler's endorsement of it is public.
1: Yeah, his the errors that he teaches in there are very public. Why are we not going to correct that publicly?
0: No. Well, there's been a lot of questions that some have been answered and some I think are still hanging. And one of them is why yeah. n- why not just correct?
1: That's right. And one more and thing. Retract. And yet one more thing. Uh, they were going to try to promote him again this, about a month ago when the coronavirus hit, so we can't do that. As I told you, the first time they had a vote on him, it was like 50-50. To promote? To promote him to a full professor. My guess is next year they will try to promote him again. And I tell you what, it won't be 50-50 this time. The next time they vote for him, because there's no longer people like myself there and others who were going against this,
0: are you saying that there, there have been other professors then since that first vote who have been uh, fired or let, yes. let go yes. that would have Absolutely. voted with you?
1: Yeah, I, I'm telling you the next vote, it will be virtually unanimous for the next time because again, those people like me and others who stood up against this, uh, we've been let go. And so you watch the next time he's voted for it, it'll probably be next year, and you watch, uh, he will. Uh, it won't be 50/50. It, it will be.
0: That's your prediction.
1: That's my prediction. I, I predict. Uh, is it, that it, an objective least... prediction, or <laughs> is that a postmodern?
0: No. No, no, no. That's right. That's right.
1: No, we'll just see. But I'm telling. Yeah. you. Of course, they won't. They'll never tell you. But I, I'm telling you, it, it will be virtually. Do you want to put your job on the line like that? Do you want to really speak out against this? I don't think so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this this has been um, enlightening and disturbing at the same time. But I, again, appreciate you being willing to talk about this. We need to talk about this. And um, I'm looking forward to sitting down with you one more time and having a discussion uh, about the leftward drift. So uh, until next time, thank you. Thank you. To help assist professors Russell Fuller and Jim Orwick, who have refused to sign the separation agreement Southern Seminary required in order for them to receive their pay, go to gofundme.com sbts-profs. To support Enemies Within the Church, which sponsored this video, simply go to enemieswithinthechurch.com. Thank you for your support.